Hello, listeners. This is Jake, and I'll be deviating from the show's usual format for this bonus episode. For a couple of months now, I've been hinting around about a lawsuit that Hub History's been caught up in. We've finally reached a settlement, so I can tell you a little more about what happened and why I've been so thirsty recently when I make my Patreon appeals. Back in March of 2020, just a couple of weeks before COVID restrictions became a big concern in the Boston area, I released a show about the crash of World Airways Flight 30, when a flight that was landing at Logan Airport touched down too far down the runway, skidded off the end of the icy runway, and ended up in Boston Harbor in January 1982. In the confusion that followed, it was reported that all passengers and crew had survived, and most with just minor injuries. Almost a week went by before anyone realized or acknowledged that a father and son who'd switched flights at the last minute were unaccounted for, and their bodies were never recovered. Now, despite the grim subject matter, that was a rewarding episode to write and record, in part because I tried something new. With some friends, I created an audio dramatization of the black box recording that ended up getting transcribed into the NTSB accident report. 120 knots. No braking. 100 knots. 80 knots. No braking. Oh, sh**. 60 knots. Oh, f- We're going off the end. Tower, world's going off the end. World 30 heavy. Off the end, sir? Are you able to right turn? We must have done an okay job telling the story of the crash because episode 175 also inspired one of the most unexpected pieces of listener mail that I've ever received. Last January, right around the anniversary of the crash, I got this note. Just came across episode 175 concerning World Airways Flight 30. I was the Tufts dental student mentioned in the podcast. I was in the fourth row. 39 years later, it was a bittersweet remembrance of the night. With another passenger, I pulled the pilot, co-pilot, and flight attendants out of the water. I saw one of the Metcalfs struggling off of the left side of the plane. I told everyone I could of authority that night and called the state police in Massport to relate the apparent drowning. Excellent job with the podcast. A night I would rather not repeat. I don't know how many people actually go and look at the show notes for one of my episodes, but I always try to post something relevant on the website, either primary sources or maps and pictures or sometimes both. If you go and look at the show notes for the episode about Flight 30 right now, you'll see a list of links to the sources I use to compile the show, but no images of any kind. However, when I first posted those show notes, I included several pictures of the crash. I try to be careful and just use images that are in the public domain, meaning works that were explicitly released with a license like Creative Commons, works created by the U.S. government, and, when the episode was released in 2020, works created before 1925. For the header image for this episode, I used a terrific shot of the right side of the plane, taken from the shoreline, with a rowboat in the foreground and two people standing near the plane's tail to give it scale. The ice and snow on the ground along the water's edge remind us how cold the harbor waters were that night. The yellow emergency slides are still half-inflated at the plane's emergency exits, alluding to the drama of the passenger's escape. 
Fast forward over two years to early September 2022. When the photographer took that great picture, emailed me, demanding a retroactive licensing agreement and threatening to pursue the full $150,000 that could be the maximum statutory damages for copyright infringement. Plus, of course, his attorney fees. He was very clear that taking down the image was not going to be good enough. Though he may not have been entirely clear on what hub history actually is, writing, Please note, Again, simply removing my images from your magazine will not settle this matter. I would advise that you look up who I am and how rigorously I defend my intellectual property. I'm making your company a one-time offer to reach out and settle this matter before a complaint gets filed. And he gave a date when he'd be filing that lawsuit about a week in the future. I responded and basically said that I'd be happy to take his picture down and throw him a small licensing fee as an apology, offering a hundred bucks as a starting point. He sent back a very angry email, demanding a $30,000 retroactive licensing fee. That's something like five times the amount of revenue that Hub History has taken in, like, ever. So I took his advice, and I looked up who he is and how rigorously he defends his copyrights, and found that he is a notorious copyright troll. Back in the 80s and 90s, he was an in-demand music and entertainment photographer. But as that business dried up in recent years, he's made a second career out of going after small-timers like me for copyright infringement. He even wrote proudly about his methods in an instructional guide for other trolls, bragging, My collections for infringement far surpass revenues I was getting 10 years ago for my syndication and creative stock. The other thing that quickly came to light was that cases similar to mine, against the same troll, have gone to court and the defendant successfully fought him down to the statutory minimum damages. He sent an almost identical letter to the one I got to a blogger who used a picture he took of an actress, and the blogger went to the mattresses. He hired an attorney, pursued a fair use defense, And although he technically lost the case, he was only ordered to pay the photographer $750, which is the minimum statutory damages. Now, part of the reason that I sometimes used photos like this one in our show notes was that I thought we'd have a strong fair use claim. Fair use allows the use of copyrighted works without permission under a few circumstances. If it's used for purposes of education, criticism, or satire rather than for pure profit. If the work that's used is more factual or documentary rather than creative. If use of the work doesn't harm the creator's future ability to profit from their work. And if a small or peripheral amount of the work is used rather than the whole thing, it's likely to fall under the doctrine of fair use. As a podcast that's largely educational and barely breaks even, I thought I met at least three of the four criteria, so I was optimistic about a fair use defense. Unfortunately, as Harvard Law professor Lawrence Lessig says, fair use is the right to hire a lawyer. And I severely underestimated how much money it takes to hire lawyers. The photographer's business is located in California, so it looked like I was going to get sued in federal court in California, which means travel costs on top of everything else. Plus, any attorney with the skill to pursue a case like this in federal court would charge legal fees that could have quickly added up to fifty or even $100,000. The fact of the matter is, even if the outcome was a $750 penalty, I couldn't afford to fight, 
while the photographer had attorneys on retainer and appeared to have a limitless budget for legal fees. I needed a quick settlement before the photographer's law firm actually filed a suit that I'd have to fly to California to fight. Luckily, I found a local attorney who helped me make an offer to settle the case for $750, based on the blogger case that we'd all read about, and that was quickly rejected. We offered what would have been the equivalent of three years of his stated licensing fees, which was also rejected. Over the course of a month or two of increasingly stressful negotiation, the lawyer was able to get him to agree to $12,500. That was a check that really hurt to write. As a creator myself, I certainly get the idea of intellectual property. I really feel, though, that this guy's demands were way out of proportion with the impact on him. I'm not a big-box retailer stealing an unknown artist's design for t-shirts. I'm not making money off someone else's work. I'm not even really making money. So it hurts to have to settle in the five figures for a case that I think I could have either won outright or lost with minimum damages, if I could just afford to fight the guy. But on the other hand, I could have ended up in front of an unsympathetic judge and found myself paying the maximum damages plus the photographer's legal fees. If that had happened, I would have lost my house and probably ended up getting my wages garnished. As it is, this hurts, but it won't ruin my life. I had two cars, and I ended up selling my fun car and keeping the commuter car. After cashing that check and dipping into my retirement savings for the rest, I was able to put this expensive lesson behind me. It also hurts to know that hub history has now cost me many times what it's earned. As long as I don't put a dollar value on my time, the podcast has been more or less breaking even ever since I set up our Patreon. I never minded that. This does sting, though. I know my fundraising appeals have been borderline crass ever since this situation started, but I hated needing to dip into my retirement to feed the troll. So I'll end this with one more crass appeal. If you'd like to help pull me out of this hole that I seem to have dug for myself, go to patreon.com slash hubhistory or visit hubhistory.com and click on the support us link. I don't know if this has been good radio or not, but it certainly was not one of my favorite stories from Boston history. Thanks for your patience in sitting through it, and look out for an original episode on December 4th about an unlucky redcoat who was shot by a firing squad on Boston Common on Christmas Eve 1774 for a crime that he may or may not have actually committed. That's all for now. Stay safe out there, listeners.